uh, the donor heart that was there. And they listen to the heartbeat of their, their loved one in the uh, body of this transplant recipient. And as you can imagine, it's, a, it's an extremely emotional thing for him. I was going to show you a clip for it, but uh, best, we did, best we didn't see that, you know, try to re, re, recoup ourselves after that. Uh, it's just an amazing thing. I don't know if you recall the first time you heard your child's heartbeat. Um, you know, it was in doctor's office for us. You know, they have equipment that picks it up much sooner than we'd ever be able to hear it on our own. Uh, and, you know, I, I believe they said that, um, as I looked, it was at five and a half or six weeks that... that the mother oftentimes wouldn't even know necessarily that they're pregnant at that time, but at five and a half or six weeks it said that they can pick up that heartbeat. Uh, and what an amazing, you know, what an amazing thing to actually hear their heartbeat before you ever get to meet them face to face, you know, before you even ever get to look in their eyes. Um, one day we're going to see Jesus face to face. Uh, and, um, you know, it's either when he returns or when he calls us. It's one of those two. Uh, you know, the, you know, people think, well, you know, he's not coming back. Well, he is coming back. Is it in our lifetime? I don't know. But you see, it shouldn't change the way I live. I should be living as, uh, you know, the, the way I live because of my commitment to him, not because I think that he might come around the corner one day and it's like, oh, I shouldn't have been doing that. Well, then don't do it, you know. I mean, if that's how you'd feel, you know, you know, if Jesus were to come back and you think, man, this wasn't a good time, you know, uh, um, I'll always make it a good time, you know, for that, or else it's when we go to see him. Uh, but we can hear, we can, we can hear his heartbeat before we see him face to face. You know, we see it in his word. Uh, we we see it, you know, uh, revealed to us. Last week we began this ton, ten week study looking at the heart. Uh, of Jesus as it's revealed to us in his word, as it's revealed to us in the Bible. We're doing this from three different angles. You know, one is reading through the gentle and lowly, you know, together throughout the week. Um, you know, each week we have to tell you what chapters we're going to be, you know, looking at. And then we're meeting together in groups to look at it and discuss what that is. If, you've, if you're doing that with one of the groups from church, that's great. If you're doing it with a group that you've put together on your own, that's great as well. Uh, you know, one of the one of the neat things is to be able to interact about that. Uh, we we had gotten a hundred books, and all well, all the one hundred books are are uh, are gone. So those that means that you have given them to other people. I hope you just didn't give it to them and leave it at that. I hope you did it with the intent that you're going to talk to them about it, that you are going to interact with them about what they've been reading about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that you have that opportunity in that time. Well, the third way we're doing it, you know, is together with the sermons on, on Sunday, the passages. The, the sermon will come from one of the passages you're looking and reading. As I was listening to them read the passages today, uh, you know, Ralph and Leah, as they were reading those, those were the two passages I'm not preaching from today. And I thought, man, I'd really like to preach. I'd really like to preach from those two. But uh, anyway, we, um, you know, today we're looking at the fact that he understands uh, it's uh, and again, it's not in a casual way. It's in a passionate way. It's with deep conviction. It's it, it's it's you know, 
that he is he's made a connection with us as he came in his humanity intentionally made a real connection with us and that's what the passage we're looking at today is going to open up for us a little bit more let's pray and then we'll turn to it father thank you for your word to us and thank you for your heart and the way your heart is revealed the way it is unfolded to us over and over again Uh, today we have that honor we have that privilege of looking into your word and seeing your heart help us to hear it help us to hear you help us to that noise that's from the outside world that wants to lead us in other directions or to uh, obscure who you are and the reality of your being help us to see through those here past those to your heart to your grace, to your love that is unfolded over and over again. So teach us. You know the needs of each person here. You know how they need to hear you today. I pray that you would touch them. Only you can do that. I certainly can't. I pray that you would use your word and what I say might pull people into your word and into your heart. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4, so turn there if you will, or get there, however you're doing it, page 1101 in the Pew Bible, or somewhere else on your other thing there, so look it up. Uh, Dean Stuckey is leading our Sunday school class, his Sunday school class, really, through the study of Hebrews currently. It's been a good study. Uh, if you're not attending a, a Sunday school class, I'd invite you to join. It's been a very good study. We had a great discussion again this morning. This past week's reading, and uh, all three you know, all three chapters in Dane Ortland's book focused on passages in Hebrews. Uh, the two that were read earlier and the one that uh, we're looking at uh, here now. Um, and, and, you know, you should never take verses out of context. That's one of the things you need to be careful about. And, you know, as we're focusing on some verses here from a fourth chapter, we're guided by all that the book of Hebrews addresses. We can't just jerk the verses out. Don't ever do that. Don't ever just pull verses out without looking also to see, you know, where they came from, you know, the context that's there. Um, You know, always look to see what comes before those verses, what comes after those verses, you know, and and that'll help you. That's the approach I always take when, you know, when I'm studying and uh, particularly when I'm studying for the sermon. Uh, What are these? I I start, you know, and I look at what do these verses say right here? You know, I read those verses and I think, what do they say right here? But I can't just stop there. You know, then I have to say, how does what I think it's saying here, how does that fit in with the verses before and the verses after the ones I'm looking at? And then sometimes I have to readjust because as I read what came before and what came after, it helps me understand, better understand what God is saying in those verses I'm looking at. Well, then I also have to look and I have to see how does that message fit into the whole book, in this case, the whole book of Hebrews. How does the, how does what I think it's saying here? How does that fit in with the you know with the whole book? And I have to then I have to even look at it in a broader context of how does this all fit into the Bible into the message of the Bible? You know how does how does that fit there? You see, God's word is consistent. God's word is not contradictory. So when I look at it that way, then you know I am less likely to to err and to go off in a direction in which God's word doesn't say because I need to see how it fits there. The Bible is a harmonious whole together, you know. It's not a mishmash of separate sayings. 
It's not just, you know, all this stuff pulled together of these are clever things. Let's put it. That's not what it is. It all fits together, you know, as a whole. And we can trust the Bible. And because we can trust it, then, you know, we can get an accurate picture of God's heart as we see it revealed in the Bible. Now, here we are in Hebrews chapter chapter four. Drop down to verse 14 is where we're going to start. Verse 14, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us, at the proper time. Now you'll notice this passage starts out with therefore, you know, therefore since, uh, which pulls us back into the preceding paragraph. So back up, if you will, just to that preceding paragraph, because that gives us the basis for what is said here. The author in, in, the, in the fourth chapter here, he's been writing about creation. He's been writing about God resting after his creative work was complete. And then he begins to talk about that coming rest. He transitions you know, from the creation and God resting after creation to this coming rest for God's people as well. And look at what he says, verse 12. He says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, Penetrating as far as separation of the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow, it is able to judge the ideas and the thoughts of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, you see, he said this, and then he says, therefore, since we have such a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. Now, you know, we're going to go through this really one verse at a time. So, you know, you might want to keep your Bible open because I really want you to be drawn back into what God is saying here so that you can see what he's saying, you know, and how is what, what is unfolded here. You know, we have this high priest who exceeds the earthly high priest. That's really one of the main focuses of the book of Hebrews. And it was something that they were not used to, they being those who heard, that, who heard him and who read this first. They were not used to the fact that there would be someone who would exceed their high priest. You see, the high priest was the high priest. Get it? <laughs> He was the high priest. There was no one over him, earthly speaking. You know, they always saw him as the intermediary. Well, they should have seen him as an intermediary between, between them and God, someone who would help them come to God a little bit easier. Uh, but it's the, the, the fact that there was somebody over him, somebody that was greater than the high priest, this did not fit their experience. It didn't fit their experience at all. And then, you know, he, he's, he's talking about, you know, one who's passed through the heaven. You see, the, the, the priest served here only on earth. That's what they were used to, a priest who served here on earth, and then they died. Their term was up. Um, you know, that's how they could tell their term was up. But a high priest originally was appointed for life, and they knew his term was up when he died. And, they, uh, you know, so anyway, you know, so they, well, what would happen is they'd get another high priest to take his place. You see, and this is what they were used to. Now, notice it says, Jesus is the one who passed through the heavens. 
He's alive. You know, he is alive. He remains our high priest. He has not been replaced. Now, he talks about this other places in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20. He says, Jesus has entered there, the, the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever. A high priest forever didn't fit their thinking. It didn't fit their experience. It didn't fit their reality. But Jesus is different than what they were used to, different than their reality. Jesus is the one to whom the other high priests were pointing. They were, they were not the, the great high priest, as it talks about here. But you know, he has become that high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7. It's on the same thing. He says, for the law appoints his high priest. He's drawing a contrast here. The law appoints his high priest men who are weak. They would not again have seen their high priest as weak. You see, he was high priest because of the strength that he had, because of the, 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 the spiritual strength and stamina that he had. You know, and so the, the, the law appoints men who are weak, but... The promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected. And there's that word again, forever. You see, it goes beyond the regular high priest. Verse 14 in in chapter 4 of what we've been reading, he says, Now we have a great high priest. A great high priest. That word, you know, that that word uh, great there, it's used for degree, you know, a greater degree, a greater intensity, a greater rank. This is what he's talking about here, you know, and he's a priest forever. The other priests were limited. The other priest's service time was limited, you know, and, and to have a high priest who's high priest forever. Jesus as high priest, our great high priest. He outranks all of the high priests that ever came before him or ever came after him. Now, when I say ever came after him, that's because after Jesus was was crucified and even raised to the, raised again to life, the Jewish the, the the Jewish religion continued and they still had a high priest. What he's pointing out here is that you know that there there is really only one high priest and that there is no greater priest than Jesus. This is what he's telling them, and this is what he's telling us. There is no greater priest than Jesus. Now, again, remember the verses that preceded this, you know, in the verses that preceded this. Notice again what, what he's saying, you know, in, you know, as he's as he's talking, uh, you know, about that in verse 13 in particular, he says, no creature is hidden from him. No creature is hidden from this great high priest. You see, because why? Because he's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. There is nowhere to hide. Psalms talks about that. There is nowhere to hide from your presence. This great high priest, he's saying, there is, there is nowhere to hide from him. You know, he is, he's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He goes on, he says, but all things were naked and exposed to the eyes of him. He's omniscient. He knows all things. You're not going to hide anything. You're not going to pull a wool over his eyes. You're not going to fool him. You're not going to come before him. Eternal weaknesses, it appealed to his internal qualities as a human. But they didn't originate from there, you know. They, they came from outward forces that were wishing to drag him down. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, you know, very clearly when Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, 
by the devil. That was the devil's goal. The devil's, the, the devil's hope was that he would be able to, to drag Jesus away from his commitment you know, and, and to God the Father. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, the Pharisees and Sadducees approached and as a test, as a temptation, same word, asked him to show him a sign from heaven. Matthew chapter 19, some Pharisees approached to test him, to tempt him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? John chapter 8, it says they asked this to trap him, to tempt him, in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Matthew chapter 27, and saying the one who would demolish the sanctuary and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from that cross. A little bit later in the same chapter, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down now from that cross and we'll believe in him. Mark chapter 15, save yourself by coming down from the cross. You see, what they tried to do here was to get him to act from pride. They tried to get him to act from selfishness. Uh, they tried to get him to reject God and to reject what God had said. They tried to get him to lash out in anger. They tried to give him to give in to tiredness, to weakness, to weariness, to pain. The temptation was real in his humanity. You know, if, if it wasn't real, and if, if it wasn't real, then then he wasn't really tempted. But Scripture tells us that he was tempted. You know, and they, they, in his humanity, it was real because if he failed in his humanity, he failed his Savior. You see, if he failed in his humanity, then he would fail as Savior. But he didn't. He he didn't fail. You know, he understands what it's like to be tempted across the whole spectrum of emotions, across that whole spectrum of weak moments that we have. He understands that. Hebrews chapter 2, it says, Therefore, he had to be like his brothers in every way. He had to be like his brothers in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tested and has suffered, he is able to help those who are tested. You are not in this alone. You are not in this alone. You are never alone. You are never abandoned you are never left to fend for yourself. You are never kicked out and say, you know, just you, you just handle this on your own. Jesus understands. You know, he is with you. He is able to help you is what we're told right here in chapter 2. He is able to help you. And he is willing to help. To be able to help and not willing would just be cruel. You know, it would be it would be the epitome of unloving to be able to help and not to help. You know, to 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 to, to have that power and not be able to use it, or, or be unwilling to use it, is just the epitome of cruelty. 
But you see, to be willing and not have the power, well, then he wouldn't be God. Then he would be inept. He would be incapable. But what we see here is that, that you know, he, he understands he is able to help and he is willing to help. You see, he understands the battle. He understands the battle you're in. He understands the struggle that you are in. He understands the battle. He understands the struggle. And he understands what it takes to get us through the temptation. And he is willing to act on our behalf. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Don't believe the lie that sin doesn't matter. Don't believe the lie that sin doesn't matter. That was one of the things they tried to get Jesus to be, you know, to do. You know, to, that that sin doesn't matter. You know, if you are God's son, you know, he's gonna walk. He's gonna he's gonna brush it off. If you are his son, just you know, just go ahead and do it. Just go ahead and and, and do it. And, and don't worry, he will be there for you. you know, don't buy the lie. Jesus didn't buy that lie. Don't buy the lie that sin doesn't matter. Don't believe the lie that you don't matter. Certainly, if you threw yourself down from this pinnacle, Jesus, your father loves you, you know, and you'd you'd be fine. Don't believe the lie, you know, that you don't matter. Don't believe the lie that God doesn't care. Don't believe that lie. He understands. He cares. You matter to him. This is what he's telling us here. This is part of what he's telling us here, what he's he's unfolding for us here in Hebrews. Now, when it says that he's tempted in every way that we are, it's not that he faced every individual situation. It's not that he faced every nuance of of, uh, the situation that you're in. but what he faced, you know, he faced in every way the full force of our temptations. He knows what it's like to battle weakness. He knows what it's like to feel abandoned. You remember his words on the cross? My God, my God. Why have, <clears throat> why have you forsaken me? He knows what it's like to have those feelings. He knows the full force of every temptation that comes. And he never sinned. He never sinned. He made it through successfully. He is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands Before I had my radiation treatments, uh, one of my doctors hooked me up with uh, a guy who uh, went through the same process. And um, he had lost the hearing in his ear. uh, And I was talking to him after all this went on. And I remember very clearly uh, meeting and sitting with this guy. We met at Cosmos Restaurant out on uh, St. Joe Center Road there and, and talking with him and discussing this with him. 
and him telling me, you know, what he went through and that whole experience. Well, then I went through the radiation, you see, and the, the thing with that is it unfolded over the next, well, really, 8 to 12 months. Uh, the radiation was done, but the, uh, the uh, continuing lingering effects of the radiation continued to manifest itself. And uh, each day, I lost a little more. Each day was worse than the day before. But to know, having talked to that guy and knowing what was coming and how it was unfolding was a great comfort to me. To know, you know, and to have talked with somebody who went through it and came through on the other side was a great comfort to me. He has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. You know, he knows what you're going through. He is pained by your pain. He wants to help you through it successfully. He understands. He knows. Verse 16. Therefore, because we have this great high priest, because we have this one who knows, because we have this one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet has done it and gone through it, yet without sin, because of that, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. You see, when we, ha when we have a relationship with Christ Jesus, we have the privilege, we have the honor to approach the throne of grace. Did you hear what the ladies sang this morning? Before the throne of grace, I stand. To come before the throne of grace. And because of that relationship with Jesus, we have that honor. We have that privilege of being able to approach the throne of grace. It's a present tense verb here in Hebrews, which, which means that we, we, you know, it's a continual approach to God. We can continually approach God. You know, we can come often. We can come without interruption. We can come and he doesn't say, well, you had enough. <laughs> That's it. You know, you're a little bit across the line here. That isn't what he does at all. We can continually. Keep on approaching that throne of grace. Keep coming. Now, to them, you know, the, the structure of the Old Covenant, the structure that they would see in the Old Testament, only the high priest could approach God. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And then only once a year. 
You know, and, and that's, this is what they were used to. You know, he only entered that inner court of the, of the temple once a year and then only for a short time. We are invited to continually approach God. You may continually approach God, he says. And notice, he says, with boldness. Not with rudeness. We talked about this a little bit last week. It, it's not, you know, it, it's not with rudeness. Remember, He is God. He is sovereign. You know, he, He's not your buddy at work. You know, He is the sovereign God over all creation. We can approach Him, though, it says, with boldness. Now, that doesn't mean demanding our way. That doesn't mean you go in and, you know, bang the doors open. You know, Katie barred the door. Here I am. You know, that's not what He's talking about. That, that, that's not at all what He means. That, that word means, you know, the, the word means to speak with the absence of fear. That we can come before Him with that absence of fear. We can continually come before Him with an absence of fear. Speaking with confidence that we are free to speak. Speaking with confidence that we are welcomed to speak to Him. That He welcomes us to speak to Him. We can come with that, with that absence of fear knowing that what we say is important to God. It's important to him. The throne of grace. Grace. Giving us what we don't deserve. Giving us more than we ever deserve. Giving us more than we could ever earn on our own. That throne of grace. And notice it says that we will receive mercy and find grace to help us. To help us. He delights in helping us, you know, not, not in humiliating us. He's, he's not looking to humiliate us. Um, he's, not, he's not looking to frustrate us. He wants to help us. And it says, and we receive mercy, not harshness. Too many of us as fathers have given a, 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 a lousy picture, you know, to our children of, of coming and Unfortunately, too often receiving harshness. Boy, I'd love to be able to go back and reduce some of those times. But he says here what we're going to receive is mercy, meaning that, well, you deserve harshness, but I'm not going to do that to you. We receive mercy. He's not trying to make things more difficult. Why? Because he knows the difficulty of facing temptation. He knows the difficulty of facing temptation. He's been through it. And so he's going to do what he can to help us. He understands that we need help and he wants to help us. We are not an intrusion to him. We are not an outcast coming in to bother him. He wants to help us. It says he sympathizes with us in our weakness. And, you know, actual help also involves the proper time as well, which he talks about in this verse. You know, at the proper time. That means not too early. It also means not too late. We usually want help a little bit sooner, but it's not too early and it's also not too late. You know, the proper time is known by God so much more than it's known by us. 
You know, so much more than is known by us. Uh, you know, we tend to want help right now. The healing of Lazarus, when Jesus re- received word that Lazarus was sick and he didn't go, it was clear when he went that Martha and Mary wished he would have come right now, that he would have been there, that he would have been. If you'd have been here, if you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died, they said. If you'd have been here, your timing was lousy, Jesus. <coughs> If you would have come when we called, our brother wouldn't have died. But Jesus has told his disciples, <coughs> excuse me, that when he had heard about Lazarus and he didn't go, he said, you know, now's, now's the time to go to see Lazarus. Now the timing is right. This is the proper time. He knew the proper time, even though it seemed like the worst time. It seemed like lousy timing to Mary and Martha. Jesus knew it was the proper time. God enters into our pain. He enters into our struggle with us. What seems like delay to us is God's perfect timing. Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace. He cares. He understands. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. No matter what you are facing, he understands. He cares and he understands. Let us go and approach the throne of grace. Father, thank you that you not only understand and you care, but you are God. You have the power, you have the heart to do something in the proper time. Oh, you know how we struggle with that. You know how we struggle struggle with even thinking what is the proper thing to do. We think we have the answers. We think we have the ideas. But you know. And we always want it right now. When sometimes that's not the proper time. We need your wisdom and strength. We need your grace to help us. To guide us so that we're not so that we're not coming to you as though you are our servant but that we can come to you realizing that you are God. The God who cares, the God who understands, the one who loves us, the one who can identify with us, the one who knows the pain we are going through, who knows the struggles and the battles we face, 
because you have faced every force of temptation that we ever deal with. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for that invitation to come to you before the throne of God. Knowing that we will receive mercy, we will receive grace in the proper time. Keep us strongly connected to you. Keep us from temptation because we are weak. Give us your strength, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.